Okay, you're gonna be good. Well, what is up, guys? How is everybody doing today? Feeling rested, extra hour of sleep, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, well, I am super excited to be here today. Uh, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Rob. Uh, I'm a community member here at H2O. I'm also one of our deacons. Uh, so what that means is I uh, come to church here. I'm a member just like you guys, um, and I serve in a staff-like capacity here, but uh, I'm actually employed somewhere else. My full-time work is in something other than ministry. Um, so I am super psyched to be here right now. I usually get to preach about once a semester, but I didn't get to do that last spring. Uh, so it's been almost a full year since I've been down here on like a normal Sunday. So like all of my snark and cynicism has just been building for 12 months. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, so I actually, I wore a special shirt for today. You probably can't read the whole thing, but it says, I'm just like you, only smarter and better looking. Um, <laughs> And I, I chose that for some particular reasons, actually. One is because uh, I wanted to. Uh, and the second reason is I, I actually think that this has a deeper truth to reveal about today's topic that uh, I can use it as an example of. So let me explain. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the topic of anxiety and worry and fears and insecurities. Um, and if I'm being completely honest, I'm actually somebody who struggles with anxiety a lot. Uh, I have a lot of deep-rooted insecurities in my life that have kind of plagued me for years. Um, and, and I'd be curious, as those of you who don't know me very well, I wonder if you would have had me pegged as someone who's insecure. Um, and my guess is not, because I've spent a large portion of my life kind of carefully crafting this outward persona that I project out at people. Uh, and it's this persona, as the shirt implies, that I'm better than you, and I don't really care what you think, and I'm kind of confident in who I am, uh, when in actuality, I'm, I'm very insecure. I care a lot about what people think about me, uh, so much so that I feel the need to put up emotional walls to protect myself from other people's rejection or just disapproval. Um, and, and so this is something that the Lord has actually been working in my life a lot. I've been getting a lot better about. Um, and part of the reason I've just seen how damaging it can be to my relationships. Uh, so in hindsight, like this is kind of sad, but also kind of hilarious. But I have had multiple friends reveal to me later on in our friendships that when they first met me, they were under the impression that I hated them. And when I say multiple, I mean like a dozen people. Like enough to where I'm like, okay, maybe there's a trend here. Um, and, and honestly, like I don't know if I'm capable of hate that isn't like directly related to sports rivalries. Like that's just not an emotional signal that my, I pick up on very easily. But this was kind of shocking to me that all these people were saying this to me. Um, and I started to figure out what was going on was that um, I would meet new people, and I, I so desperately wanted them to like me and to think highly of me, but I was scared of directly interacting with them because I might say something stupid or uh, make a bad first impression, and I didn't want to risk that, and so instead I would, I would kind of shun those people, and I would just focus on my friends, and I would act all, all confident and what have you and, and show them what a cool person I was, and then they would see that, and then they would think that I was cool and they would want to be my friends, right? Um, and in actuality, it had the opposite effect where people were really put off by the fact that I was being so cold and dismissive of them. Um, so as crazy as it sounds, like, I still get anxious about meeting new people. It's weird, but, like, I'll, I'll meet freshmen. I'm, I'm 26 now, and 18-year-old kids still intimidate me, right? Like, because I care what people think about me. And so um, this is public service announcement. If you are new in our church and you're somehow under the impression that I hate you, that's not true. 
I'm actually scared of you. <laughs> so next time you see me, approach slowly and speak in soothing tones of voice, and uh, I'm sure that we will be good friends. So that is enough about my issues. We'll get back to those later. Um, but let's dive into what we are talking about today. Uh, we have been going through a sermon series called The Upside Down Kingdom, where we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, and we've arrived at this passage uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 6. I was super excited when I found out I was going to get to preach on this because um, this is one of my absolute favorite parts of the Bible, and, and I want to tell you guys a story um, as to why that is. So when I was a freshman at Bowling Green State University, that's where I went to school, go Falcons, um, I, I had this really difficult class my freshman year. So it was called Intro to Critical Thinking, and it was, it was in the honors program. And the professor who taught the course had literally written the book that we used in class. And so this guy was, like, ridiculously intimidating. He was a legend on campus as to how scary he was to students. And, and part of what made him so scary was that, um, you know, you never knew when an assignment was coming. He didn't have a syllabus. He would just kind of, at the end of class one day, be like, you've got a paper on this ridiculously complicated topic. Have fun. And we would all cower in the library for the next four hours. So um, one day he decided that he was going to ruin our weekend and dropped a paper on us at the end of the day on Thursday. And not only that, but it was going to be a partner paper. Now, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? This was disappointing news to me because I can't stand working with other people because I'm better than everyone. Uh, and... And not only did I get paired with a partner, but I got paired with, like, Mr. Gung-Ho of the class, who was, like, so excited about doing this paper, despite the fact he had no idea what we were doing. Um, and so we got together after class, and we're trying to work on this. And, and I didn't really know the material well enough to feel like I, I was going to do a good job. But I knew it well, to know, well enough to know that he was not going to do a good job. And so we spent most of our time where he would just be like, well, we should put this in there. How about this? And then I would have to explain to him why that was lunacy, and we weren't going to put that in our paper. Uh, and so we went back and forth like this for, for a long time, and I look up at the clock and realize, it's been four hours, and we have made zero progress. And so this is when it starts to hit me, okay, we're, it's been four hours, and we haven't written a word. Like, where are we going to be four more hours from now? Where are we going to be on Tuesday when this paper's due? Like, how much time do I have to work on this between now and then? Um, and as this realization of how utterly screwed I am just starts to, to come upon me, uh, a group of friends walks by, including my good buddy Grant Rolfer, whoever he is, and um, they asked me, are you going to life group tonight? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm here trying to figure out how much time I can reasonably spend on this without dying of sleep deprivation, and you want me to walk halfway across campus and go to a two-hour Bible study. Doesn't seem like a good use of my time right now. Um, so honestly, I, I don't know what it was that made me make the decision that I did, but I ended up deciding to go. Uh, and I think maybe I was just really stressed and not thinking clearly and thought, well, okay, maybe I just need this to relax or something. And so I get to Life Group, and we started, and we open up our Bibles to this passage in Matthew. So let's read it together now. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither 
toil nor spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So we read this passage, and we talked about fear and anxiety and worry. And um, you know, I can't tell you guys how much that meant to me that night, because it's just one of those moments that felt like God was talking directly to me. Um, and I've, I've really loved this passage ever since. I think that might have been the first night that I really understood that God cared about my anxieties. Um, I think anxiety and worry is, is such a personal problem sometimes. It's very internal, and um, it's very irrational oftentimes, and maybe even you know that it's irrational. And so it's easy to keep it inside because you feel like, man, this is so silly, I, it's so stupid that I worry about these things. Why would anyone care about this? But, but Jesus makes it clear. He, he brings this up in this passage. He, it's something that he cares about. So that's why I start today with my little monologue about how uh, neurotic and messed up I am, because the last thing that I want is for you to leave today and be like, oh man, that Rob guy, he, he really has his anxieties together. Hopefully I can be like that someday. Like I would so much rather you walk away going, dude's got some problems, like really messed up. Uh, but you know, he's, he's taking those issues to God and that's where his hope is at. And maybe I can do the same thing. So so what are we talking about when we talk about anxiety and worry? Well, I, I was talking with uh, my friend Mallory early this week, and she said something I thought was really wise. She said that there's a difference between anxiety and stress. We are stressed about events, but we're anxious about outcomes, right? So, so stress is just this burden that we carry around, but anxiety is when that burden starts to threaten our sense of security and our sense of well-being. Uh, so, so here's a way to put it I think makes sense. Most anxiety asks at its heart this question, Am I going to be okay? So, for example, I, I was a little bit stressed preparing the sermon this week, right? Like, it's, I don't normally preach every week. It's something that's not a part of my schedule, so I had to find the time to study and put everything together. Uh, but I wasn't overly worried that the ultimate outcome of this was somehow going to have a negative impact on my life. Um, but that school assignment my freshman year, that was different. That, it was stressful because I had to get it done, um, but there was something deeper going on there. You see, I had, I had always been a pretty successful student academically. I was, I was good at school and high school, and I just thought that was going to continue into college. Um, and then I encountered this class, and it was so much more difficult than I ever thought it was going to be. And so our first assignment literally had me in tears in my dorm room because I felt so overwhelmed and frustrated and, and unable to do this. And um, those weren't things that I was normally used to feeling when it came to schoolwork. Um, so I got some help from a TA and, and ended up doing okay on that test. Um, and then our second paper was, was an assignment we had to do in class. And again, just felt overwhelmed and confused and not prepared enough. Uh, ended up getting a D on that paper. Actually, it was a D plus, which is like super condescending. It's like, it's like you suck for the most part. You know, like um, that, that really didn't help. Um, I, I had never gotten a D on anything in my life up to that point. And so here I am, working on this third paper, again feeling confused and overwhelmed and like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. He definitely doesn't know what we're doing. And suddenly this question comes into my head, am, am I gonna be okay? It, 
it suddenly started to go beyond the paper. What if, what if I fail this paper? Like, am I going to fail the class too? What, what does that mean for my academic career? Am I not cut out for the honors program? This is my first semester of college. Like, what, am I not cut out for college? Am I going to lose my scholarship if I can't maintain my grades? Am I going to be okay? And those of you who wrestle with anxiety know what this moment is like because in that moment, you can't think clearly about anything. You can't concentrate on what you're doing because all these questions are just screaming above everything else in your head. Um, but that's, that's what made that night so comforting to me. I brought all of this worry with me to life group and had that question, am I going to be okay? And it felt like God was saying, yeah, yeah, you are. Um, so let's look at this passage and, and see what comfort God offers here. So I, I think there are, are three things in particular that I see that we can take away from this. The first one is this, God is aware. God is aware of the difficult things that are going on in your life. He is intimately aware of what is giving you anxiety, and he knows what you need even better than you do. So it says in verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus says this later on in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So he says it right here. These birds are so numerous and everywhere. You can get two of them for a penny. And yet God is aware of what's going on in their lives. Even the hairs on your head are numbered, meaning God knows things about you that you don't even know about yourself. So fear not. God is intimately aware of what is going on in your life, and you do not have to be consumed by anxiety. Second thing is this. God is good. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So God is not just simply aware of the needs in your life. He also provides for them. God is good enough to feed the birds of the air. He's good enough to clothe the grass of the field. He is good enough to take care of the things in your life. If he cares enough about these insignificant details about the world around us, how much more does he not care and provide for you? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, this is just a few verses later, so hopefully I'm not stealing from next week's sermon, but it says, which of you, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's saying that you as sinful humans even know how to give good gifts to your children there in need. How much more does God in heaven, whose goodness so greatly surpasses that of us, how much more will he not give good gifts to his children? He's not just aware of our needs. He is also good, and he provides for them. Third thing is this. God has a better way. It says here in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's saying that because God is aware and because God is good, we can trust him in our anxieties. So instead of worrying and trying to take control and trying to solve everything by ourselves, we can trust God. We are instead freed up to seek what he wants for our lives and trust that he will take care of everything else. Isaiah 40, 27 through 41 says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's all right there. God is not unaware of what is going on. We can put our hope in him. We can seek the things that he tells us to seek and wait on him knowing that he will come through and provide strength in our moments of need. Okay, so theoretically the sermon's over at this point, right? Uh, I have told you all the reasons why you shouldn't be anxious, so I think we're done here. Uh, The band can come back down and... No, no. Um, Look, here's the deal. I don't think that what I've said up to this point is particularly earth-shattering for most of you, especially those of you who have been in church for a while. Um, Most of us have heard these things before, right? Like, no one's like, what? God's good? Why didn't you lead with that? That's great news. Like, most of us know these things, and most of us who struggle with anxiety might even know that those are supposed to be the answers to our worry, and yet anxiety tends to persist. I think it persists because despite knowing these things and having heard them before, we struggle to actually believe them. So a fight against anxiety for the believer is not simply a fight against worry itself, but it's rather a fight to believe God's promises that he is aware, that he is good, and that he has a better way for us. So this this is what anxiety is at its core, right? Like it's a lack of belief in God's promises. So that's why it doesn't do any good to tell someone who's anxious, well, if you just believed more, then you wouldn't have anxiety. Duh. Like, yes. It's like telling a sick person, well, if you just got rid of those germs and you wouldn't be sick. Okay. Um, I mean, that's just going to produce more anxiety in us about the fact that we have anxiety and we can't believe enough to get past it. I think, I think the a- answer rather lies here. This is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So what do we do with our anxieties? We humble ourselves before God. God, I don't believe. God, I'm struggling to believe your promises. God, grow me in faith. God, help me. Help me hold on to the things that you've told me. I think if we're going to make progress in this area and overcome anxiety, it's not simply good enough to hear truth. We have to go to God and really dig into what are the things in our life that it's undermining our ability to believe that truth. Um, so what are some of these things that undermine us? What's, what, what undermines us from believing that God's aware of things in our life? Well, I, I think it's, it's not coincidental that this follows the passage that Grant talked about last week about money and storing up treasures on earth, right? Because money is one of those things that, that feels like a reasonable uh, antidote to worry, right? Like there's just a lot of problems you can solve if you can just throw a ton of cash at it. Um, and so sometimes we try and get after money because we think, man, if I just had financial security, then I wouldn't worry about these things. This is what the Bible says. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So God is saying the reason that we don't have to let our hearts get attached to money is because he has promised to always be with us. Money can't solve all of our problems. It can fail us and let us down but God never will. So so money isn't the only plan B, if you will, that we tend to run to. Um, We want to feel like we're in control. We want to feel like we have things together. And so we reach out to these things that that we think if we just get our hands on them, we won't have anxiety anymore. And so some of us 
um, feel like love will make us safe, right? And so we, we chase after friendships and relationships because if we just have people to love us, then we're always going to feel okay. Or some of us think if we can just get the right major or get the right job, then we're always going to have a sense of purpose in our lives. For me, I thought if, if I can just be smart enough and my, my intellect is, is superior enough, then I'm always going to feel like that's enough to sustain me. But all of these things can fail us. All of these things can start to slip out of our control. And we cling so tightly to them because they feel like hope, but there's not actually any hope there. We don't feel like we can get let, let go because it's like, well, am I not supposed to care about school? Am I not supposed to care about money or relationships or any of these other things? No. Do not worry is not the same as do not care. The opposite of worry is not indifference. The opposite of worry is faith. Um... So that night that uh, we had life group and we talked about this passage, they gave us this little note card and they told us to go away and kind of have a quiet time and write on one side something that we were worried about. And so I wrote the name of the class. Uh, and then they gave us this sheet of paper that had a bunch of verses about worry on it and um, said to, to write down one on the other side that, that stood out to you. And uh, this one jumped out at me, Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. And I was worried about failing my class, and so that kind of like popped in my head. So, um, and ironically, I looked back at the sheet a couple years later and realized it actually says, never let the righteous fall, and I just misread it. Um, so it was, it was this dyslexic moment, but it was also a God moment. So, um, but, but here's the thing. Nothing about that, light, that night changed my circumstances. I still had to write that freaking paper, right? God wasn't telling me, don't care about your school. Don't try hard in this class. But he was telling me not to worry. What, what benefit is there in worrying? Worrying cannot add an hour to your life. Only daylight savings time could do that. <laughs> God cares about the birds of the air. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he cares about your problems. So you don't have to cling so tightly to these plan Bs that, that we try and come up with and try and protect ourselves with because they can't fix anything. So ask yourself this, am, am I putting my hope in anything other than God? And if you are, you're not helping your anxiety, you're just hurting it. So, so bring that to God. Say, God, I, help me to trust you more than I trust this thing right now. Help, help change that in my heart. So what about the second thing? Um, how do we know, what, what if we're struggling with the idea that God is good. Um, you know, I think this is something that actually a lot of us really do struggle with because we've heard for a long time, like, God is good. God has a good plan for me. God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him. And yet, every single one of us can look back at our lives and see things that either have happened or are currently happening that, that don't feel very good, right? And so we're like, well, yeah, I, I want to believe that God is good, but hey, I've had some pretty crappy things happen to me. Who's to say that won't happen again? Can, can I really trust that God is good? Well, well, here's an answer to that that I think might be a little bit unsatisfying for you to hear at first. Um, you and God have very different definitions of what it means to be good in your life. I think your definition probably has a lot to do with your comfort, your happiness, and your sense of security. And God's definition has a lot more to do with the state of your heart, your joy, and your relationship with him. And he cares about those things so much that he is willing to take from you your comfort and your happiness in order that he can grow you in the things that he actually does care about. And even though it doesn't feel like that, that is still for your good. So for me, when, when I think about some of the most painful, difficult times that I've gone through in my life, 
I, I can say, yeah, God used those. Uh, he used that suffering for good in my life. But here's the thing. If I could go back in time and tell Rob who was struggling with those things, the good that would come about, I don't think it would be a very satisfying answer because I wouldn't understand how that growth could be good until I went through it. And so rather than uh, give you examples from my own life, I wanted to turn to one of my favorite sources of theology, uh, Pixar movies. So any fans of Pixar in the building? Uh, so, okay, which is going to be good. Uh, so Finding Nemo, how does that movie start? Right, Marlon, he is so concerned for his son's safety. He doesn't want to let anything happen to him. And what happens? The worst thing imaginable. He gets fishnapped and just taken away uh, by the evil humans. And he has to go all the way across the ocean and go through all these terrible, difficult, hard, uh, hard things just to get his son back. But what happens in the end, right? They're reunited. And, and their relationship is better and deeper than it ever could have been before. Do you think Marlon at the beginning of that movie can understand how good that is without having gone through what he went through? What about the movie Cars? Uh, Lightning McQueen. All he wants to do is win a championship, right? And yet he doesn't. He ends up tying in the first race. And then he has to go through this other thing where he gets lost in the desert and meets a bunch of weirdos and goes through all these difficulties and struggles. And then in the end, he doesn't even win the race. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but he gets something so much more valuable. He grows in character. He grows um, in friendship. He grows in ways he didn't even know that he needed to grow in. Guy at the start of the movie doesn't understand how that could be good until he gets to the end. Inside out? Are you kidding me? The whole movie is just about how we, we need to embrace the emotions of sadness and other negative things because they're definitional and who we are and how we grow as people. And so we can't resist them. We need to let them be a part of our lives. And, oh, it's gut-wrenching. Like, such a good movie. If you haven't seen that, go see it. But here's the thing. I, I love those examples because even our society gets that difficult times refine us and make us better people. So we cannot use difficulty and suffering in our own lives as evidence that God is not good, even if we can't see the good that's coming at the end of it. And I think that that's the point. It's not that somehow the good that comes at the end of that suffering somehow justifies it and makes sense of it all. It's that we can't arrive at the good that God has planned for us until we go through those times. So I, I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he says in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. He's saying don't get caught up in tomorrow. Whether you're caught up in tomorrow because you're anxious and you're consumed by your anxieties and you're worried about how things are going to turn out, or you're caught up in tomorrow because you're thinking, well, a better day is coming. If I can just get to that good and get through this pain and difficulty, then everything's going to be better. Don't live in tomorrow. Live in today. God is doing things in your difficulty and your anxiety right now that he wants you to be aware of. So don't, don't waste your anxieties by just trying to survive them. Don't miss out on what God is doing right now in your life. Um, is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Is not today more than tomorrow? There's deeper things going on here. Come to God and be aware of those things and don't just overlook them. Um, so what about this last one, for, for having trouble believing that God has a better way for us? Well, I, I think there are kind of two stumbling blocks that show up here. The first one is the obvious one, like if, you, if you're just doubting that, that God's way is really best. Um, I mean, scripturally, the entire book of Proverbs has tons of things in it about how uh, following God's commands is ultimately what's going to be best for our life. But I think um, 
almost the more persuasive argument is just the lives of the people in this room around you. Um, so as they said, we're going to have baptisms later today. Um, and as a part of that, those people who are getting baptized are going to get a chance to share some of their testimony. Um, I, I don't know what will be said today, but I, I've been to several of these, and oftentimes you'll hear things like, man, I, I was seeking joy somewhere else. I was trying to find uh, purpose in my accomplishments or in my schoolwork. I thought that a relationship would satisfy me. I thought that sex or alcohol would bring me happiness. And guess what? I found out that there is no true joy there. I could only find those things in God. And so I, I, there's no more convincing argument than a changed life, right? Talk to the people who, who God have, have put them through these things. They've lived it. Um, here's the thing. The, the second way that I think we struggle sometimes with this idea that God has a better way is a little bit more devious. Um, my fear is that some of us, when we read verse 33, that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What we hear is, do a bunch of Christian stuff, and God will take care of you. And I fear that we hear that because that's, that's what I heard for a really long time. And that's the way that I lived. I, I, I felt like I wanted God to take care of me. I wanted God to protect me. And so he says here, seek first his kingdom. And so if I just put all of my effort into being a really good Christian, and I try and obey God, and I try and fight against my anxieties and, and, and take control of things like that, then, then he's going to take care of me. Right? I'm not seeking after the things of the world. I'm seeking after God. I just got to do that really well. And the problem with this is it, it leads us to this very performance-driven relationship with God where you're never going to live up to the standard you're setting for yourself because it's perfection. And you're going to start to see every negative thing that happens in your life as evidence that you haven't arrived and that you're not good enough. And so, you know, I thought I was dealing with my anxiety and really I was just replacing that question of am I going to be okay slowly with this question of am I ever going to be enough? I just didn't feel like I could ever meet the standard that God had for me, and so I just kept trying harder and trying again and trying to do more and just figuring I would eventually get there. And, and you can play this game for a little while, um, but it doesn't end well. And so what happened to me was 2015, uh, which was one of the most difficult, frustrating times of my life. I uh, just had a lot of things happen that um, I, I really felt like God had abandoned me in. Um, and rather than, than really try and explain every single one of those, I just, I just want to read you. This is a journal that I wrote um, less than a year ago. I'm just going to pick out some things from here. I don't even know what to write. I have no idea how I could possibly capture with words how I feel right now. I feel hopeless. I feel overwhelmed at the thought of making it through the night, much less the next few months. I feel unequipped, unprepared, and unprotected. But more than anything, I feel like my life is pointless. I feel no purpose, I have no goals, I have nothing to live for, and I have no idea how to change that. I don't seek the Lord anymore because it feels fruitless, and I don't trust him. I feel like he's betrayed me. Why would I want to push into him? I know that I need God. I know that my life is a train wreck on my own, but I'm so scared of trusting him right now. Desperation is the only thing that brings me close. When I'm not lazy and apathetic, I'm angry. Sometimes I'll work myself into a rage over something small. Deep down, I know I'm angry at God. I'm sad constantly, and it makes me want to avoid everyone. I sat in my room alone for uh, a good 20 minutes doing nothing today, just so I could avoid talking to my roommates. This happens often. I just want to be alone. I'm scared. I'm scared that I couldn't even trust God if I tried. What makes tomorrow different than today? What if I try to trust him and next week my motivation is gone? 
What if I still don't seek him? What if I still give in to sin? What if I'm not strong enough to trust him? I'm so scared. I'm scared that I won't be enough for God. The person who wrote this was a leader in our church, preached on Sundays, led a small group, was discipling people, and played in the worship band. And none of that Christian activity made me feel adequate. I was caught in this endless cycle of trying to perform for God and to do enough for him. And it never was because I wasn't doing it for him. I was trying to do it myself. I thought if I could be good enough, if I could work up the strength, if I could believe hard enough, then things would go well for me. And there were no answers there. And so one of the things that helped bring me out of this spot was I came to church on a Sunday in the midst of this. It was actually almost a year to the day. It was November 8th. And I was just so consumed by my worries about, is life ever going to get better? Are things ever going to be less difficult? Am I ever not going to struggle with these things? And I just, I just wanted to connect with God. I was like, I just want to worship you, God. I just want to have this moment where I can focus on you and try and solve some of these problems. And I just couldn't do it, man. The voices were just too loud. And so during worship, I just sat down in my chair, and I just, I just started praying. Um, I was just like, God. Why am I never enough for you? And our band started to play the song, How He Loves. I just felt like God said to me, Rob, everything you're going through, this is not because I don't love you. Because I do. And you have to understand that. I lost it, man. I'm not a crier either, and it was, it was ugly, just weeping in my chair. The last time I had cried before that was seven years ago at Life Group when we read this passage. It wasn't difficulties. It wasn't hardship that broke through and broke me down. It was the love of God. And so we're going to close today with worship and communion, and our band's going to play a song for us. Um, that most of you probably know, it's called Good, Good Father. And I kind of hate that I love this song because it's like on Christian radio and Christians are lame. I don't want to like the things that I like. Um, (laughs) Man, this song has just been speaking to me lately and it's because it's so simple. And I feel like the chorus just answers the questions that my heart just cries out for. Am I going to be okay? Yes, because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. Am I ever going to be enough? Yes, because I'm loved by him. That's who I am. Let's pray. Um, God, I just thank you for the simple truths, God. There are at times the things that we forget the easiest, and yet they're so overwhelming because that is the essence of your gospel, God, that you are good, that you are aware of what's going on in our life, and that you love us deeply, God, more than we can comprehend. And so... I pray, God, that we would not try and pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and and do so much um, that we find success that we long for, God, but that we would just humble ourselves before you and trust you and allow you to change us slowly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion during this time now, during worship. And um, 
I'm so excited. This is honestly just like a super encouraging message to prepare because I just got to sit down and just preach the gospel to myself over and over and over. God loves me. God cares. God is working in my life. And I think we forget to do that often. We, we don't remind ourselves of the truth that Jesus died for us. He gave his life so that he could have fellowship with us. And so that's what communion is. Um, we get to go and, and take the bread, which is Jesus' body broken for us, and dip it in the juice, his blood shed for us, and remind ourselves, this is the gospel. This is what God did for me. This is how he feels about me. So just as we worship, go back and take communion if you feel led. If you wouldn't consider yourself a believer, we ask that you refrain from that. Um, it's not magical. It's just bread and juice. Um, and this is for our believers to, to remember what Jesus did for them. So worship with us. <laughs>